First things first, discipleship uh, training. Jesus is wanting to take His, quote-unquote, His disciples and really talk about what it means to follow Him and what that word discipleship means. Now, remember when you were young and your parent, maybe like you were 12 or 13, you were old enough to stay by yourself and maybe your parents were going to be gone by the, uh, for the day. And they would say something like this, Look, we'll be back at 7 o'clock tonight, but while you're here, I've left you a list of things you need to do. Okay? And y'all remember that? And, and they would write it out. And so you want to make sure all those things were done by the time your parents uh, were going to be home because you know you would have to give an accounting as if you really did that. Matter of fact, uh, even today, that, that doesn't just leave. When you become married, you have a honeydew list, right? And if your wife is gone for the day, she'll leave you a list. And uh, one of the big things on the list whenever Gail has to go out of town is to make sure all those dishes are put up. And uh, you know what I do? One of my favorite apps on my iPhone is called Find My, which means I can track where she is. And so I have to wait to the very last minute to motivate me to do those dishes, put them up. Now the boys helped me too, um, but still, and they need that extra thing, so I said, Gigi's in Batesville, now we need to get up and, and get on these dishes, okay? But uh, those things, woo, those things are important uh, to, uh, uh, to us, to get that list done. Well, Jesus gave uh, His... Uh, followers of the church, something he wanted done at the very top of that list above all else. And here's what he said. This is as he is uh, uh, ascending. He told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and earth. Therefore, number one, first things first, go and make disciples in all the nations, which means ethnic groups. Vito, I use the illustration about even though you live in the Nagalands, there's a bunch of tribes, there's a bunch of ethnic groups there. How many were there? Do you remember? 27? 27 tribes. So it's not just reach the Nagalands, reach every tribe in the Nagalands. And that's what a lot of your students are doing. They come from the various tribes. They go back to their, their tribal people and they go back and minister in those areas. And so he says, I want you to go and make disciples, not just of Franklin, not just of um, Horseshoe Bend, but you're to go and make disciples of all nations. Who did he tell that to? He told that to his disciples. There was just 12 of them. My goodness, we're three times bigger than they are. He told those 12, I want you to go to the nations for me. And guess what they did? With no airplanes or modern travel, those disciples went to their Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Many of them died outside of their country. And that is the call to every believer in every church now, not all of us can go to the far reaches of the earth, but as a whole, as a church, we ought to be sending out disciples to all nations. And it's not just me, but others along with me. But I want to lead the way. I want to be an example of going where God wants us to go. So he says, therefore go make disciples in all nations, then we're to baptize them in what we call the Trinitarian formula. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. God is three in one. 
And then here's the key word. This is really what discipleship means. And then teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I've given you. And we're going to look at one of those commands today. And God says, teach them. Teach them to obey, not just to listen, not just to take notes, but to put into practice all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this. That means if we do this, we're going to get an extra sense of God's presence that I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Hey, don't, doesn't all of us, don't we all want God to bless this church? Don't we all want God's hand to be upon this church? You know how we get God's hand upon this church? Is if we do the first things first. We go make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then we teach them to obey all the commands that He has given us. And if He does, He will be with us to the end of the world or end of the age. Now, I read a quote this week, and oh, I love this. The church was not meant to entertain the saved, it exists to train disciples and to glorify God and to reach the lost. And I want to remind us, one of the things that we need to grow in, yours included, but one of the things our church needs to grow in is we need to get more outward focused. Not just inner focused on who we are and keeping us together. And I enjoy the wonderful fellowship, but listen, God didn't create us to be this small little country club for Jesus. God created us to make disciples and to make disciples. And how can you not... Make disciples without getting in more discipleship. And uh, so, um, what I want to do first, I want to review where we were last week as we talk about this first things first uh, in discipleship. I want you to get your bulletin out because I want you to, um, I want us to read the scriptures as we review this thing. All right, the first thing we saw was the call of discipleship. In just a moment, we're going to look. Uh, we talked about the crisis of discipleship. Then we talked about today. We're going to talk about the cross of discipleship, the cost of discipleship, and the consequences of discipleship. That's the overview of this uh, series. Now, um, let me mention to you about um, uh, the call of discipleship. Look in look in verse uh, fourteen. 25 through 36, uh, I mean 25 through 26. Now large crowds were going along with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And so we said that, first of all, let me make sure I've, I've got... There we go. That's what I was looking for. Uh, all right, sorry folks, got that mixed up somehow, but just listen to this. We mentioned it was a conditional call, if anyone comes to me, it's your choice to be a disciple, if anyone comes to me. It's a universal call, if anyone comes to me, if anyone comes to me. God's called discipleship for every single person in this room right now. Then we said it was a personal call. If anyone comes to me, it's not just to us as a church, it's to us as individuals. 
Then we talked about the crisis of discipleship last time. Look in verse um, um, 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, that means in comparison to your love for Jesus. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And so it's like Jesus brings us to a fork in the road. And He says, listen, if you don't learn to love and put me first, you've got a choice. This sermon is a crisis point. Am I going to be a true disciple of Jesus or am I not going to be a a true disciple of Jesus? So uh, that's what we covered last time. Now I think I got everything in order. Today we're going to talk about the cross of discipleship. The cross of of discipleship. Look in verse 27. Whoever does not carry his own, there it is, cross and come after me, he cannot be my disciple. The cross of discipleship. Let me tell you what Warren Wearsby said. Here we go. I'm back on track. Have no idea how that all got, one of my favorite words, discombobulated. I have no idea how that got discombobulated. All right, but listen to what Warren Rearsby said about this. Jesus seems to make a distinction between salvation and discipleship. Now, I want you to go back in your mind about, think about when you were saved. Might have been when you were 10, a teenager, young adult, maybe even someone older in life. Go back to that in your mind. But there's a distinction between what happened then and the call to discipleship. Salvation is open to all who will come by faith, while discipleship is for believers willing to pay a price. Salvation means coming to the cross and trusting Jesus Christ, while discipleship means carrying the cross and following Jesus Christ. What does it mean to carry the cross? It means identification with Christ in shame... uh, suffering and surrender to God's will. It means death to self, to our own plans and ambitions, and a willingness to serve as He directs. Have you gotten to that point? Now some people, when they get saved, they immediately begin to understand that and become a true disciple and follow. But some of us, here's where we are. And I understand this. This is where I was. You get saved, you don't understand this till later on, but in this sermon you will understand this, that God is calling you not just to be saved, but calling you to take up the cross daily and become a disciple of His. You got it? Alright, so that's the cross of discipleship. Let me read to you what uh, Paul Benware said about this. Carrying the cross is not speaking of giving up things, rather something more basic. That's just... Giving up things is the fruit. The root is this. It is a vow to give control of the life to Christ. It is a decisive, you got to make a decision. Rational, you got to think through it. Calculated, you got to count the cost. And not an emotional, unthinking response. The concept of voluntary slavery seems to be in view here. And so I want you to think about this. When you got saved, you came to the cross. 
You surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. You knew He died in your place on the cross. You knew He was the only way to heaven. And so you gave yourself, you bowed before the cross, spiritually speaking, and you were saved. And now Jesus says, that same cross, discipleship means taking it up and living in it every day. That's what discipleship is. The word discipleship, we covered last time, means to attach yourself to. And so Jesus said, I want you now, not just to be saved, I want you to attach yourself to me and follow me, and you can't attach yourself to me and hold on unless you take up the cross daily. The word disciple means a learner. You attach yourself to Jesus to let Him teach you things in this life. Now, the, the cross... We look at this and we think, boy, that is beautiful. Isn't this beautiful, by the way? I love our cross. When, when we renovated this building, my two favorite things, number one was the cross, and secondly was the pulpit with the cross on it. I mean, I just love that. It's just, it's just beautiful. But back in Jesus' day, when they said, take up the cross, it was not something beautiful. As a matter of fact, it was something that... Um, it was something that was not beautiful at all in their mind. Today, we would say, pick up your electric chair <laughs> and follow me. The cross meant one thing to them. Not a pretty trinket, but death. One of the f most evil and famous serial killers was a man by the name of Ted Bundy. Boy, he was scary. It's because the reason he was scary is because he looked like an everyday, ordinary guy. He looked like a good-looking college guy. But he was an absolute evil psychopath. And he would go and take... Uh, sometimes he would go to a college campus and he would wear a fake cast and he would be trying to hold his books and try to put his books in the back of a car and he would do this around a good-looking girl, a college girl... And, she, and he's like, can you help me? So she would open the trunk, he puts the thing, and then he would beat her and shove her in his car, and he would take her off and do his thing with her and kill her. And here's what is even more evil than that. He would come back days later and still fulfill his fantasies with a dead body. That's called necrophilia. So he was a wicked, wicked man. And... Uh, I watched a documentary about him, but after a while and after appeals and stuff like that, after he was convicted of that, he died in the electric chair. And when they wheeled him in there and put him in the electric chair, this evil, cocky psychopath is sitting there in an electric chair and his eyes are like this and he's nervous and he's sweating because he knew what... When he walked into that room, he gulped because he knew that meant death. And to us as Christians, as Christians, we ought to look at that and not just say how beautiful it is, but that's death. And Jesus said, unless you take up your cross daily, you cannot be my disciple. Jesus was on His way, to, uh, when He was telling them this, Jesus was on the way to the cross to be crucified. They thought that Jesus was on His way to the throne of Israel and to kick the Romans out. 
They thought that Jesus was on the road to the kingdom. And Jesus said, no, the road that I'm on right now is the road to death. And Jesus said, unless you carry your cross just like He did to Calvary, then you cannot do this thing called discipleship. And let me just say this, if you don't know what carrying the cross means, then you're not carrying the cross. And that's okay if you're a young Christian. But it's time to take up the cross. Some of you have been saved for decades. It's time to take up the cross in your life. I wrote this down. Before you can experience resurrection power, you have to be crucified. Before you can experience abundant life, joy, and peace, and God's true blessing, you have to be crucified. You have to die. Remember, Jesus does not want to make you a better person. He wants to kill you. How do you like that? He wants you to be crucified. He wants you to die because until you die to self, He cannot and He will not live through you. Listen to, you can jot this reference down. Galatians 2.20, Paul understood this. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live, he says, I've been crucified with Christ when I got saved, but the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered Himself up for me. I didn't just leave the cross there at salvation. I have taken up the cross, and the life that I now live is this. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer that I live. Jesus is going to live through me. But He can't live through me until I take up the cross and do it every single day. The cross of discipleship. This morning the Lord showed me this. Or I guess He reaffirmed this. I always review my notes on Sunday morning. And sometimes I add some stuff because it seems like God just shows me one or two things before I get up to preach. We are trying to live for the Lord and do His work without taking up the cross. We have all the best intentions. We are trying to live for the Lord. I think everybody here wants to live for the Lord. I really do. I know you well enough. I think everybody here wants to live for the Lord. But you can't do it unless in the morning, first thing, this is what God showed me, Jeff, first thing when you get in the morning, Take up the cross. Identify with my death. Let me live my life through you. First thing in the morning. Now isn't it interesting? He uses an illustration. He says, take up the cross. He wanted people to picture in their mind that what here's what you gotta do. You pick, you've got to in your mind say, I'm picking up the cross. Remember he said, I'm the vine, I'm the door. Think about those things. I'm the gate. 
I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. Those are illustrations for him to explain the spiritual truth. And so I must, and this is what God showed me this morning, if I want to be very consistent in, God, in, in, in my walk with God, if I really want to have power and blessing and to be all God's called me to be, I can't just on one day take up the cross and just forget about it. Every day, every morning, making a decision, a decisive decision. Today, I take up the cross, no longer me, but God. Jesus living in our life. Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, you can jot that reference down. Jesus said, you got to pick up your cross daily. Boy, that hit me this morning. And then Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5, 31... Paul said, I die daily. And God just showed me that this morning. Jeff, I know you want to live for me. I know what you want to take up your cross and follow me, but you can't just do it here and there. you got to do it every morning, every day. Pick up the cross daily. So when you pick up the cross, guess what happens? Jesus gives you His resurrection power, and now that day, He begins to live through you. So that is the cross of discipleship. Now the next thing I want to show you is the cost of discipleship. Kind of just keeps building here. The cost of discipleship. Now, when you buy a car, oftentimes they give you a short warranty. You know, they'll say, boy, you're... Your car is warranted to 20,000 miles, which basically means one year. <laughs> okay, right? Or less. And uh, so sometimes you go there, something happens in that first year, and you're like, hallelujah, I got a warranty for this. And you go to get your car repaired, and they say, mm, sorry, that's not covered under your warranty. You're like, what? Because most of us men do not read that thing line per line per line. But they pull it out and they show it to you, except for this. It's usually real expensive things, right? And uh, except for this. Do you know, one reason I love the Bible and I love this passage, isn't it so clear that Jesus holds nothing back? I mean, He just spells it out. This is what it's going to cost you. And I mean, He says it's going to cost you death. The cost of discipleship. Now, here he uh, does this, and I have no idea if this is... Oh, yes, it's on there. Thank God. <laughs> There's the cost of building. Look at verse 28 through 30. For which one of you, when he, builds, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost or count the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. He was not able to finish. So here's, here's the way God is saying this. When you get saved, that's the foundation. That's an important part, right? I've known uh, buildings... Uh, high-rise buildings that weren't... There was a problem with the foundation after it was built, and the building starts tilting. Your foundation is when you come to the cross. But 
When you start attaching yourself to Jesus, you die daily, that is building on top of that foundation. 1 Corinthians 13 talks about that. And you've got to count, what is the cost of this? If I'm going to build a building spiritually, what is the cost of this? You better calculate it, Jesus said. Count this cost. When I was pastoring in Mississippi... And between, and I pastored in Hickory Flat, Mississippi. And uh, I was there from 95 to 1999, four years. Not that that means anything, but you can see how long it was. I was a young fella. All right? And a lot of times we go to Memphis, and we go down from where we lived to Hickory Flat, and then we would go up, and there was this little area called Potts Camp. Anybody ever heard of Potts Camp, Mississippi? Okay. Well, there's Gail because she lived in Mississippi for a little bit. There's Potts Camp, Mississippi. Then there's Holly Springs, Mississippi, and on and on and on toward, toward Memphis. But there was this one church that I went by that was like in that Potts Camp area. And all it was was a foundation and just some steel frames with a bunch of weeds That, is that my Siri? <laughs> it may be. Anyway, it was, uh, there was uh, this weeds began to grow up around this foundation and the steel frame. The steel frame was rusting. And for the whole time I was there for that whole four years, there's a building just sitting there. Rust on it. And you know what you think when you go by a building like that? wonder if they got into a church fight and they didn't have enough money to finish it. What happened to that church? Something went wrong. Do you know what? Jesus sees us through spiritual eyes. And He can see how far we've built. He can see if you just have a foundation, but you've never entered into discipleship. And what I'm saying is, please don't beat yourself over over your head, but you need to count the cost. God is calling you now to start building on that foundation. You can't build unless you take up the cross, you attach yourself to Him, and let Him live through you, and then you start adding stories to that that building. There's the cost of building. Then there's the cost of battling. Of battling. Look what it says in verse 31 through 32. Or, here's another illustration, <clears throat> what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000 men? That's double the amount of warriors. Or else, here's his other option. While the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. And so he's saying, listen, as you begin to follow the discipleship, you've got to count the cost of what it's going to take for you to build upon that foundation of your salvation. You've got to count the cost because now you're entering into a spiritual battle. Are you willing to say, look, if I do what I'm, Brother Jeff's talking about today from his word, if I do this, am I willing to face the heat of the battle the devil's going to throw on me when I do it? Listen to what the Bible says. 1 Peter 5, 8. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert, your adversary. 
the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Then uh, Ephesians 6, 11 through 12. Put on all of God's armor. Why do you need armor? Because you're in a battle. Paul said, put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies and tricks of the devil. For we are not fighting against people made of flesh and blood, but against the evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against those mighty powers of darkness who rule this world, and against wicked spirits in heavenly realms. Listen to this. Discipleship involves warfare. You ever seen somebody walk an aisle, broken? Or they'll come to me, I'm broke. Oh gosh, i got to get serious about the Lord. Oh man, I'm telling you, I'm just not where I ought to be. I need to get serious about the Lord. And they just want to get recommitted. Usually people who don't come to church that often, they'll come back. I just got to get committed. I just got to get committed. Uh, And as best they know how, They do recommit themselves to the Lord. But they don't count this cost that once they do that, Satan has a target on you. And so they go along a week or two, they'll come to church, or they'll be real committed, and then something, I'm telling you, God will allow the devil to test you. And he will come, and he will try to knock you off track. He'll try to distract you. He'll try to do anything he can to fight against you. And one of the reasons that Christians then drop out is because they didn't count the cost that when you take up the cross, you are identified with Jesus Christ and Satan never left Jesus alone until he crucified him. There's the cost of battling. Now here's the last thing as far as this is concerned. The cost is not, there's the cost of budgeting. Look in verse 33. So then, none of you can be my disciples who does not give up all his own possessions. Now, the word he's talking about here, it's, it's not, he's using the comparative thing again. Just like he said, if you don't hate father and mother, you can't be my disciple. That is, if you don't love, your, uh, love me way above how you love your parents and everything else... You can't truly follow me. And in here, he, he says this, unless you give up everything you have, you can't truly be a disciple and follow Him. What does this mean? It pictures our life is like a stewardship. It pictures that I give all my possessions to God and I recognize Him. God, this ain't my stuff. It's all your stuff. That's what it means to give up all your possessions. You hand Him everything. And you say, I don't own this. I didn't earn this. You know, it drives me crazy when people say, well, I earned my house. I earned it through hard work. Listen, God created you life to be here. God gives you the air to breathe and the strength and the muscles and the eyes for you to be able to earn that money. It all goes back to Him. You are just a steward, which means a manager. Vito, uh, I'm glad you're here today, Vito. I was going to use this illustration anyway. Isn't that funny how God brought him here today when I was going to use some Vito illustrations? Vito and his wife bought a restaurant up there in Horseshoe Bend. It's called Vito's. Please go by there, get you some food. You can even now get some barbecue, right? How much is it? $8.99. 
Go up there and get you some barbecue. But he owns that in an earthly sense. And so when he's not there, Leo runs it, right? Leo is not the owner. He's, he's a steward. He's a manager of what he does not truly own. And so what we have to do in the spiritual realm is say this, I don't own my life. I'm just a steward here on earth to manage what God has given me, to manage my time, to manage my money, to manage the gifts and the talents God has given me. They're not my talents. They're not my gifts. They're not my money. Everything, I give up everything, all my possessions and myself to follow Jesus. And uh, now I want you to see this, the consequences of discipleship. What happens if you start to live this way? Well, there is some positive consequences. This is good. I mean, this is good kind of stuff. Don't you know that some of your decisions you make have good consequences? And so if you really start buying into what I'm teaching from God's Word, here's what's going to happen in a positive sense. Look what he says in verse uh, 34a. (laughs) That means the first part of that. Therefore, salt is good. There's a positive consequence. Salt is good. Jesus said in Matthew 5.13, You Christians are the salt of the earth. Now what does salt do? Salt influences. In Jesus' day, salt was not the same kind of salt that we use uh, today, but the salt of His day, it, it would preserve. You, you know, before refrigerators and stuff like that, what did they do? They put meat in salt. It preserves. It purifies. Whenever you have uh, like sometimes an infection or something like that, you can put salt on it and it helps kind of cleanse it. The other night, I had some bad ulcers on my tongue. They were killing me. And I said, okay. I went over there, got some hot, hot water, put some salt in it, drank it next day, and they were gone the next day. I don't know how, but the next day. Because salt puri- purifies. And when you become a disciple of Christ... You take up your cross, guess what you're going to do? Just like salt influences the taste of meat and salt influences the preservation of meat and salt purifies, guess what? Your life as a disciple begins to have an influence like you've never had before upon other people. There's positive consequences. And then, last but certainly not least, and you have the choice today... If you don't do what Jesus said to do here, there will be negative consequences. Look again in Luke 34 through 35. Therefore salt is good, but here it is. But even salt, if even salt has become tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? It is useless either for the soul or for the manure pile, it is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. 
Listen to a parallel passage about this in Matthew 5.13. You are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can it be made useful again? It will be thrown out and trampled under the foot as worthless. I like what the King James says. Uh, you, you know, if, uh, if salt has lost its flavor, it's good for nothing. And a preacher had a sermon title on that. It was called Good for Nothing Christians. <laughs> right? Because listen, if you just come to Him and stay there for decades with just your foundation, and you don't build upon it by taking up the cross and walking with Him, listen, you are a good for nothing Christian. You'll still go to heaven, but you won't have that influence and the fulfilled life and the power and the influence and the joy that God wanted you to have. You have lost your salt. Now I know what it your saltiness. I know it is so easy to look at Washington, D.C. and say, man, this country is going down the tubes. It, it is so easy when you turn on a commercial and now you see not just a family, but you see a same-sex couple with a kid, not just to say, this country is going downhill. You look in the media and every one of them is picking the side of evil. And, and, and we have a tendency to blame them and the abortionists who pick it up there and say, a woman's right to choose. Gosh, how can this world be going so crazy? And let me tell you why it's going so crazy. It's because Christians will not take up their cross, follow Him, and be salt that penetrates society. They won't be light that penetrates society. And the world is getting more rotten and corrupt because Christians are not preserving it. That's why God says... If you want to heal your nation, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. Then I will forgive their sin. Then I will heal their country. If my people... The Bible says in Proverbs 4.13, Righteousness. People living for Jesus exalts a nation. Why is the nation going down? Because there's not enough righteousness. Not enough disciples. Do you know that during the... Uh, when the rapture of the church happens, then absolute all hell breaks loose on the world. You think it's dark and wicked now. It's going to be super dark and wicked during the tribulation. There's going to be demonic activity like you've never seen before. You know why? As weak as a lot of us are, the Bible says that all that starts after the restrainer is taken away. You know who I believe the restrainer is? It's the Holy Spirit in the believers that are salt. And when the salt goes out, the real rot begins. So don't think your life has no consequence. It has a consequence in your family. It has a consequence in this church. And it even has a spiritual, you can't see it, a consequence in the city and in the world in which we live. So here we go. The call of discipleship. Everybody here is called to do it. It's a conditional call. It's a personal call. The crisis of discipleship. The cross of discipleship. <laughs> there it all is. The cost of discipleship and the consequences of discipleship. Let's bow for a word of prayer.